Uh, one last thing before we dive into all of Psalm 27, let's look at one verse of Psalm 27 that we're memorizing together as a church family. Let's, uh, let's fill in these blanks, let's read this together and, uh, and, and speak God's word. Psalm 27, 4, one thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Psalm 27, 4. Well, with that, let's turn our attention now and read all of Psalm 27. And uh, since these words are breathed out by God and come with the very authority of Jesus himself, if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? The Holy Spirit says of David, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not. O God of my salvation. For my father and mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. And lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. So much of this life as a Christian is waiting. So much of what defines our day-to-day walk with Christ, what defines our experience in this life is waiting. 
as Christians, most of all, we're waiting for the return of our Lord Jesus. We're waiting for him to come and judge the world. We're waiting for him to come and establish the fullness of his kingdom. We're waiting for him to right every wrong once and for all. We're waiting for a new heavens and a new earth. That day when our sickness will finally be healed. When our tears will finally be wiped away. When we will be finally freed from the presence of sin all around us and within us. We wait. But even before Christ comes, we wait. Maybe you're waiting for the Lord's guidance and direction in your life. Maybe you're waiting for God to meet a need that you have. Maybe you're waiting for God to restore a relationship that's currently broken. Psalm 27 is a psalm of waiting. David is waiting, and he's seeking to encourage the people of Israel in their waiting. David is waiting for God to answer his prayer. David is waiting for the day that he gets to enjoy the fullness of God's presence forever. He's waiting to be freed from the oppression of his adversaries and enemies. David is waiting for God to come through for him. And what we have in Psalm 27 is a model for the kind of heart that God wants to form in us as we wait for him. We see in David an example of what it looks like to trust in God in the waiting. And not only that, we see in David character traits that point us to Christ, who is both our perfect example of what it looks like to trust God in the waiting, but also our perfect Savior who has purchased for us grace to empower us in our waiting. And most of all, in Psalm 27, we see a God worth the wait. A God worth the wait. Well, as we walk through this psalm together, we're going to see four characteristics of a heart that trusts God in the waiting. The first characteristic of a heart that trusts God in the waiting is fearless confidence in the Lord's salvation. Fearless confidence in the Lord's salvation. We see this in verses 1 through 3. David begins this psalm by expressing his fearless confidence in the Lord's salvation, starting in verse 1. The Lord Yahweh is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Yahweh is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David describes uh, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, as his light. His light. Light gives 
confidence. I don't know if you ever thought of it that way, but I've been thinking a lot about how light gives confidence because our four-year-old daughter, Sayla, has entered into the scared of the dark phase. And so it's given me a lot of opportunity to start thinking through what is it about the dark that's so scary? Well, let me tell you what I've been thinking about. When it's dark, you can't see if something is harmless or harmful. When it's dark, you can't anticipate potential obstacles or threats. When it's dark, we're, we're vulnerable. We're weak. But the light gives confidence. When I'm walking through my house at night in the dark, uh, if, if it's all dark, I, I'm moving cautiously and slowly But man, if I pull out my phone and I turn on the flashlight, man, I'm moving at a clip. I'm moving fast. I'm moving confident because light gives confidence. And David says, Yahweh is his light, his light. Yahweh is the one who gives him such clear vision about his life that the threats he faces and and the things he experiences, what he feels, Yahweh gives him clarity and illumination about what he is experiencing in his life. Such clarity that he can have confidence and that he can move ahead boldly with confidence knowing that Yahweh is the one who lights his way. You know, apart from the Lord in the dark, it might seem that death is a massive threat. But the Lord gives light to see that he is the one who has power over death. Apart from the Lord's life, we may walk in uncertainty through life. But with the Lord's light, we can walk his path without fearing that we might take a wrong step. We can see that his path is safe in his light. Well, David also describes Yahweh as his salvation. He's confident that Yahweh will save him from his enemies, ultimately. He's confident that Yahweh will save his life, preserve him, keep him alive. And we see that also in how David describes Yahweh as the the stronghold of his life. Yahweh is David's fortress. In him he is safe and protected. And so in light of who this God is for David, his light his salvation, his stronghold, with that awareness of who God is and with confidence in who God is for him, David boldly says, whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? If God is for me, who can be against me? If I have this sort of security, How can I be afraid? David further describes his confidence in the face of his enemies in verse 2. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. So because Yahweh is on David's side, his confidence is that his enemies are his, his enemies' plans are going to backfire. They might try to devour David, but they're the ones who are going to end in failure. They're the ones who are going to end in defeat. 
David feels unstoppable. Verse 3, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. A a whole army can come against him, he won't fear. All out war can break out. He's still confident because Yahweh is his light and salvation and the stronghold of his life. God has given David fearless confidence in the Lord's salvation. When God is our light, he changes how we see our lives. And he changes how we deal with fear. This is most perfectly seen in Jesus as he anticipated what is for many the most fearful thing anyone can anticipate. His own death. Turn with me to Matthew 16, and I would encourage you to keep a a bookmark in the Gospels because we're going to be turning to the Gospels quite a bit today. Matthew 16. Matthew 16 records a conversation that Jesus had with his disciple Peter about this death that he was anticipating. Matthew 16, starting in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. As Peter was saying that he wished that Jesus wouldn't have to face death, Peter was setting his mind on the things of man. He was living in the dark. In the dark, Jesus being put to death seemed like the worst thing that could possibly happen. But Jesus saw clearly because God was his light. He knew that at the cross, even though his adversary would assail him, as David says in Psalm 27, even though his adversary would eat up his flesh, it was his adversary that was going to stumble and fall at the cross. Just as God promised in Genesis 3.15, the serpent might bruise the offspring of the woman's heel, but he was going to crush the head of the serpent even in that moment. If we live in the light of God and we set our minds on the things of God, we too can be fearless as we trust God in the waiting. The fear of financial loss, financial loss vanishes in the light of the God who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The fear of a loss of relationship vanishes in the light of the God who loves us with an everlasting love. The fear of losing man's approval vanishes in the light of the God who declares us righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. 
the fear of death vanishes in the light of the God who raises the dead. When you know God as your light and salvation, you can trust him in the waiting. And you can live with fearless confidence in his salvation. That's the first characteristic we see in Psalm 27. The the second characteristic of a heart that trusts God in the waiting is single-minded desire for the Lord's presence. Turn back with me to Psalm 27 as we look at this, starting in verse 4. We see David express his single-minded desire for the Lord's presence. Psalm 27, verse 4. If you haven't turned there yet, it's okay because you haven't memorized. One thing have I asked of the Lord. One thing. One thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David wants the pleasure of God's presence. He wants the pleasure of God's presence. He he says there, there is just one thing he wants. Just one thing. One thing above anything else. One thing that if he doesn't get anything else, as long as he have that, has that, he will be satisfied. Just one thing he's asking for God for, and that is to live with God forever. To be at home in God's presence. David wants to dwell in the house of the Lord. Uh, he wants to dwell in the Lord's presence, to, to gaze upon his beauty, to just take in the goodness of who God is, to enjoy God's glory and perfections. He wants to admire his character. He wants to be blessed just by being near his creator, his redeemer. And David not only wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, he also wants to inquire in his temple. David doesn't just want to see God, he wants to hear from God. He wants to ask God, what is your will? Uh, He wants to hear the words of life. He wants to sit at the feet of God's teaching. He wants to receive Yahweh's divine wisdom from above. He wants to meditate on these words day and night. He wants the pleasure of God's presence. We also see not only does David want the pleasure of God's presence, he wants to be protected by God's presence in verse 5. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. David is confident that Yahweh's presence will be his sanctuary. He may be surrounded by trouble, but he is still safe. He's protected by the presence of Yahweh. He is secure and on solid high ground because he knows God. Finally, David not only wants the pleasure of God's presence and the protection of God's presence, he wants to praise God in his presence. Look at verse 6. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with Shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. 
David, despite the trouble around him, despite being surrounded by enemies, he doesn't hang his head in despair. He lifts his head in confident triumph and victory. He expects that he will offer joyful sacrifices of praise to Yahweh for keeping him safe, preserving his life, showing his goodness. And in all of this, David demonstrates this single-minded desire for the Lord's presence above all. He wants the pleasure of God's presence, the protection of God's presence, and he wants to praise in God's presence. No one expressed this single-minded desire for the presence of the Lord like Jesus. Turn with me to John 17. In John 17, John records a prayer of Jesus that he prayed the night he would be betrayed and arrested and go to the cross. John 17, 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. What was Jesus seeking after as he went to the cross? To dwell in the house of the Lord. To gaze upon the glory of the Lord. To glorify his Father and experience the shelter of his glory. Don't let the dread of waiting cause you to take your eyes off of the one thing you should desire more than anything else. Waiting is fearful. Waiting is dreadful. Waiting is painful at times. And all those things will try and get our attention off of the one desire that we should have more than all else. The one thing that is greater than everything else, and that is the presence of God himself. The longer we wait, the harder waiting becomes. It's easy for other desires to displace the one desire for God that we ought to have. I want relief more than I want God so when relief doesn't come, I allow myself to become bitter and depressed. I want happiness more than I want God. But happiness doesn't come, so I'm discontent. And I seek temporary pleasure in worldly things. I want security more than I want God. But security doesn't come, so I become anxious. I make rash decisions. When other desires are competing with your desire for God or have even displaced your desire for God, follow the example of David. In the day of trouble, worship God. Gaze upon his 
supreme beauty. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that God has given to those in Christ the privilege of being able to just to do just this, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Remember who God is. Remember who Christ Jesus has revealed him to be. And why he is better than all other desires. And why when we have him, we need nothing and no one else. Gaze upon his beauty. Inquire in his temple. Open up the Bible and hear God's voice. Let his word drown out all the other voices that are competing for your attention. Offer shouts of joy and songs and melody in your heart to the Lord. Set your mind's attention and your heart's affection on who God is. So that you might experience a single-minded desire for the Lord's presence that sustains you as you trust God in the waiting. We've seen already these characteristics of a heart that trusts God in the waiting. Fearless confidence in the Lord's salvation. Single-minded desire for the Lord's presence. And third, fervent prayer for the Lord's will. David offers a fervent prayer to the Lord starting in verse 7 of Psalm 27. Turn back there. He offers a fervent prayer for the Lord's will. He says, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. He's he's asking Yahweh to do what he doesn't have to do. He's asking for grace. He's asking God to graciously answer his prayer. In verse 8, he reiterates his devotion to the Lord and says, You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. David says, you've called your people to seek your face. you called your people to do this, and I'm doing that. I want you. I want your presence. I want your protection. I want your guidance. He goes on in verse 9 to ask favor from Yahweh. He says, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God. Of my salvation. He's asking God for favor, for faithfulness. He says, don't turn away. Don't forsake me. And in fact, he expresses his very confidence in the fact that God will not forsake him. In verse 10, when he says, my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Now, we we shouldn't take this to mean that David's parents had literally forsaken him. Uh, This is a, a poetic point that he's making. And the point is that God's commitment to David is stronger than even the strongest human love. That is how confident David is that Yahweh will not forsake him. He asks for favor. He asks Yahweh not to forsake him. And he is confident that Yahweh will answer his prayers. Take him in. Never forsake him. And in light of that confidence, in verse 11, as he continues this fervent 
prayer for the Lord's will, he asks for Yahweh's guidance in verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. He wants Yahweh, his light, to shine and illuminate his path, to teach him how to walk in a way that pleases the Lord. He, he specifically asks for Yahweh's guidance to guide him in this path because of his enemies. Well, why might Yahweh's guidance be needed in the face of David's enemies? Well, we get the answer in verse 12. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. So here's the scene. David's adversaries want to do him harm. That's their will for him. They're telling lies about David, spreading rumors. They're threatening him. They're desiring to do him harm and see him shown evil and even potentially to die. And so David prays that Yahweh would lead him on a level path because of his enemies. False witnesses can say what they will, but God Lead me so that whatever they may say, the truth is I walk in a path of integrity because I follow you. My adversaries may breathe out threats of violence, but God, don't let that cause me to step away from your path, your will, your way. David fervently prays for the Lord's will. And again, these verses point us to Christ. Jesus, too, prayed fervently for the Lord's will. Turn with me to Matthew 26. As Jesus is approaching the cross, as he is anticipating the cross, he's gone from foretelling that he would suffer, to praying about this suffering in the upper room, now to praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Look at Matthew 26, 39. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus prayed fervently for the Lord's will, even as he was surrounded by his adversaries. Even as, shortly thereafter, he too would experience false witnesses rising against him. Look at verse 59. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At least two came forward and said, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. So there he is, surrounded by enemies, surrounded by those who are breathing threats of violence, and he is fervently praying 
for the Lord's will, even in the face of false testimony coming against him. But where David's prayer and Jesus' story are different is that in Jesus' case, he was not protected from the will of his adversaries. He was given over to the will of his adversaries. In Jesus' case, he was forsaken by the God of salvation. In Matthew 27, 46, Jesus cries out with a loud voice from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Jesus' case, the will of God that he prayed for was the will that Isaiah prophesied about in Isaiah 53.10. And listen to these words about the will of the Lord for Jesus. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The whole story of the gospel in one verse about the will of the Lord. Because his fervent prayer, Jesus' fervent prayer for the will of the Lord led to him being crushed. But that very crushing was him making an offering to save us from our guilt. And just as we read in Isaiah 53.10, that led to everlasting resurrection life for him and for his people who would trust in him. It led ultimately to the will of the Lord that he prayed for prospering in his hand forever. And it's because of this, because Jesus prayed fervently for the will of the Lord, because the will of the Lord was to crush him, because the will of the Lord was for him to offer himself for salvation, because the will of the Lord was for him to purchase salvation and grace and power for all of his people and resurrection life for his people forever, that's why we are able to fervently pray for the will of the Lord in the name of this Jesus who prayed for us. We are able to go to the Lord boldly in prayer because the separation that once stood between us has been removed because the will of the Lord was to crush him and to purchase the way for us to be able to access God in our waiting, in our trusting, in our pain, in our suffering. The way has been paved open because of Jesus and his commitment to the will of the Lord. And so with this gate wide open, with the access to the Lord wide open, may we fervently pray for the Lord's will in our life, just as our Lord Jesus prayed fervently for the Lord's will in his life that led to our salvation. Don't get distracted by the will of others. We saw the will of those who were opposed to David. We saw the will of those who were opposed to Jesus. People are going to want all sorts of things for you, People are going to want all sorts of things against you. There might be someone or multiple people who scheme against you. There might be people who have taken on their plate just wanting to make your life miserable. That happens. How do you trust the Lord in that? 
pray fervently for the will of the Lord. Pray for him to do his will that he only knows and that only he can do. But also pray that he would strengthen you by the grace that is in Jesus through his death and resurrection. That he would strengthen you to do his will as it is revealed in scripture, even as you are oppressed, as the will of others is to ruin your life, as the will of others is to to even spread lies about you. Pray for the strength that you would be able to do God's will no matter what anyone else might be saying about you. Seek the Lord's face. Seek his will. Pray that he would guide you in his will and protect you from the distractions around you. Trust God in the waiting through fervent prayer for the Lord's will. The final characteristic of a heart that trusts God in the waiting is courageous patience for the Lord's goodness. Fearless confidence in the Lord's salvation. Single-minded desire for the Lord's presence. Fervent prayer for the Lord's will and courageous patience for the Lord's goodness. David expresses this courageous patience for the Lord's goodness, starting in verse 13. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David expected God to demonstrate his goodness. He expected whatever the outcome is, God is good. A good God will do whatever happens. David believed that his difficulty also would not end in death. David was confident that he would see God come through for his people. And that he would come through in such a way that this would end in celebrating God's goodness in the land of the living. That is, not dead. But that there would be celebration looking upon the goodness of the Lord while alive. And David ends the psalm with a charge to the people of God. He's made this personal prayer. He's given this personal expression. And then he turns and he says to the congregation in verse 14, Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. David encourages God's people, wait for him. He is a God worth waiting for. Trust that he will come through. Trust that he will do good. He echoes the words that God gave to Joshua in Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In all this, we see David's courageous patience for the Lord's goodness and the courageous patience that he encouraged the people of God to have as they wait for the Lord to demonstrate his goodness. When we experience courageous patience for the Lord's goodness, it protects us from taking matters into our own hands when we should be waiting for the Lord. Turn with me one last place to John 18. When we experience courageous patience for the Lord's goodness, it protects us from taking 
matters into our own hands. We've seen Jesus' prayer in the upper room. We've seen Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. We've seen the false witnesses that came against him. Now look with me at John 18, verse 10, and see what happened when Jesus was arrested. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Instead of waiting patiently for the Lord, Peter took matters into his own hands. Instead of waiting for the Lord's purpose, Peter acted rashly, immediately, quickly. But in contrast to Peter taking matters into his own hands, Jesus demonstrated courageous patience for the goodness of the Lord. Hear those words again of Jesus. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? He was confident that the Father would ultimately show him goodness. He was confident that the Father would give him life in the land of the living. And so he showed courage that even accepted suffering, that even accepted the cup of the wrath of God because he was waiting on the Lord. And he trusted that even if now I am drinking a cup of suffering, the Lord will show me goodness in the end. Even if now what I am experiencing is waiting, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The ultimate message of Psalm 27 is this. The, the, the culminating verse here at the end of Psalm 27 is God's word for us. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Be strong. Be courageous. Wait on the Lord. Trust Him at all times. Don't take matters into your own hands just because the waiting gets painful. Don't take matters into your own hands just because you're waiting longer than you thought you would. Trust the Lord. Wait on Him and His timing. I went to Liberty University, a Christian college, and if you know anything about Bible colleges or uh, Christian schools, uh, there's a lot of people getting married and a lot of people looking for a good Christian spouse. It is, uh, it's just, it's intense. That's all I'll say. And uh, however, the last semester of my senior year, I was single. January, February, May is coming. I'm leaving this place and I'm single. And I started to get nervous. I mean, am I really going to leave Liberty without a wife? But instead of trusting the Lord, I took matters into my own hands. I started pursuing a relationship that I never should have pursued. I pursued a relationship that I, I really didn't even want, but I was just afraid I was running out of time. 
And there were all sorts of evidences that my heart was in the wrong place in all of this. Um, This caused me to start treating other people poorly because I was trying to preserve my little plan of taking things into my own hands. There were a lot of red flags that I ignored because I was looking more to my will than God's will. Maybe you've experienced the same thing. Maybe even now you're tempted toward the same thing. Rather than waiting for the Lord, you're taking things into your own hands. And, and maybe you're blind to the fact that if you would see, there's evidence all around that your heart is not trusting the Lord. Maybe you're clinging to your plan and your will and taking things into your own hands and you're, it's causing you to sin against other people because you're clinging more tightly to your will than to the Lord's will. Maybe you're seeing that, uh, that, or maybe you're not seeing that there's all sorts of indications that this is not right, it's not good, it's not according to Scripture, but it's what you have, it's what you can cling to, it's what's right now, right in front of you. Can I encourage you, if you're like me and you are tempted to take matters into your own hands, wait for the Lord. His timing is perfect. His will is good. Have the courage to trust and obey, even when things are not progressing at the rate you would want them to. Trust that God will do everything he promised he will do. Trust that if God has not given it to you yet, it is not good for you now. Wait for the Lord. Because Jesus drank the cup the Father gave him, he purchased for us the grace that we need to be strong and courageous and to wait for the Lord. Because of Jesus, you can wait. You can be strong and courageous because just like he promised to Joshua, he is with you wherever you go. If we are in Christ, this ends with us in the land of the living, even after death, beholding the goodness of God. If we are in Christ, this ends with us gazing upon his beauty forever. So be strong. Be courageous. Take courage. Wait for the Lord. Fearless confidence in the Lord's salvation. Single-minded desire for the Lord's presence. Fervent prayer for the Lord's will. And courageous patience for the Lord's goodness. In light of what we've seen in Scripture today, how do you need to respond to the Word of God? What is one way you, in your heart, in your life, you need to respond to God's Word? Are you struggling with fear? You need to remind yourself of who God is and see your circumstances through His light? Are you letting other desires displace your desire for God? You need to remind yourself of who God is and worship Him even in the day of trouble. Are you getting distracted 
by what others will is for you. But you need to remind yourself of who God is and seek his face and seek his will. Are you tempted to take matters into your own hands instead of trusting the Lord? You need to remind yourself of who God is and wait on his goodness. Jesus waited for the Lord perfectly, and because he did, if we trust in him, we know how this ends for us. It ends with enemies defeated and salvation in the Lord. It ends with us dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. It ends with us beholding the face of the Lord. It ends with us seeing the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. We can trust God in the waiting because we know who it is we are ultimately waiting for. Let's pray together. Father, as we wait May we fix our eyes on Jesus. We are waiting. Some for things that others are not waiting for. And all of us waiting for your final salvation at Jesus' return. And Lord, that waiting is painful, hard, But Lord, you are with us in the waiting. And your plan is always good. So may we trust you in the waiting. Trust that you are good. And remember that you are the God we are waiting for. And you are good. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.